We're going to talk about living in the joy of Jesus. But tonight we're going to talk about something. Every Christian, every believer needs a working knowledge of what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to go through the Bible. I want you to hear this tonight. You, you need to know this. Some years ago, we had dear friends of ours. We passed a little country church. We didn't have children then. And a, a young couple was there and they became dearest friends of ours. And uh, they were our age. We were just real young back then. And um, I, we drove our Model A over to their house. We'd go see them. <laughs> And uh, suddenly, one day, I got a call. Her dad had died suddenly. Fairly young guy, about 50 years old. Just heart attack, died suddenly. Well, we went, I went through the process with him. Funeral and all that got done. And the next Sunday at church, she said, I, I want to come out and talk to you next week. And I said, you, you just say when, come by. She said, so we set a time. And she came by early one morning. And uh, we sat down. And I said, well, what, do you, what do you need? She said, I want, to know where, I want to know what happened to my daddy. And she didn't mean medically. She meant, I want to know what happened to him in this heaven transition thing. And, you know, she just lost her father suddenly. And she said, you know, I, I believe in heaven. I've heard about it. She said, I want to know what happened. And I want to know what he's doing. And I said, well, great. So we took the Bible and opened it. And I walked her through what the Bible says about what happens when a believer transitions to the new earth. And I had a wonderful time. And it just it brings such comfort to our hearts when God... If you're a believer, you, most people believe there's a heaven, 90 plus percent of all Americans, even if they don't follow Jesus. But very few people really know what's going to happen and how we go through the process and what happens when we get there. And I love this kind of stuff. Um, let me ask you a question. Does anybody here have somebody that you love that is already in the new earth? Well, we're gonna, we need to talk about that tonight. I want you to know what they're doing. Uh, is anybody here? <laughs> statistics are pretty clear on this one. What out of one people that's born? So far, they've batting a thousand. Some, one day something's going to happen to you. I hope you live to be 105, but one day something's going to happen to you. What's going to happen in that time? What's it going to be like to walk through it? What are you going to find there? Every believer needs a working knowledge of what the Bible says about this process. And we're going to look at that tonight. I love this kind of stuff. It's just wonderful. And th this is, uh, say, Brother Mike, don't, don't talk about dying. Talk to, you can talk to me about it. Well, I'm looking ahead with joy. And I'm, I've heard of people say, I just want to die. Well, that's for the wrong reason. I'm looking forward to it. I'm having the greatest life. I mean, I'm old. I can say what I want to say. I'm, it's just wonderful. But I'm, you, I'm headed for an instant upgrade one day. And I want you to see what the Bible says about this in the book of Philippians. This is some of the strangest stuff you're fixing to read right here. If you were to have a friend say this to you, you'd look at them funny. But this is Paul the Apostle writing. But remember, the Bible is the word of God speaking through men to you. Holy men of God spoke and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God's speaking to you here. Right, I've told you the man's in prison. He's been sentenced to death and he knows he's fixing to get killed. Watch what he says in Philippians chapter one. Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 19. I know, Philippians 1, 19, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of Jesus Christ. What do you say? I know y'all are praying for me and I believe your prayer is probably gonna get me out of this jail. Watch verse 20 according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always, Christ will be magnified in my body whether I live or die. What'd he say? I, thank you for praying for me. But said my only, I don't care whether I live or die. I just want Christ to be glorified. Life or death. And now here's where it gets bizarre. Watch this. Verse 21. To me, to live with Christ is wonderful. And if I could die, that'd be better. To die is gain. That means it'd be better. How I many of you got friends who talk like that? How I many of you know happy people? And I've seen some sad people who want to die. How I many of you know happy people say, I got the greatest life going, but God, if I could die, it'd be better. 
Right there it is. What is it that makes this man talk like this? He's opening his heart right here about where he's at. This sounds to me like he's not trying to get out of jail or out of death or anything else. All right, verse 22. If I live in my body, that'll mean fruit from my labor. What I shall choose, I can't decide. I cannot tell. He's sitting there thinking, don't want to stay here. Don't want to die. I can't decide which one I want to do. People say, well, the Lord determines your time. Sounds to me like he's fixing to decide when it is. I can't decide what I'm going to do. Uh, Verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to get out of here and go be with Jesus, which is far better. Listen to this. This man is aching to die. He said, man, I'm I'm so eager to, to go where he is. However, verse 24, to stay in this body is more needful for you. So I'm going to stay and help you. And he did for a little bit. No, actually, he got, he got killed. Right after this, his head was cut off. But I want you to listen to what this man's saying. This guy's condemned to death. He's, an old, he's about 62 or three years old, right about my age now. And uh, he's, he's, he's sentenced to death. And he says, thank you for praying for me. I think your prayers will get me out. But he said, I really don't care whether I get out or not. It's the main thing is that Christ be glorified. He said, matter of fact, you know, to get killed would be wonderful. And he said, I'm torn between the two. I don't know what to do. But he said, I really know what I want to do. Man, I want to go see Jesus so bad. Does this sound like this guy's scared of dying to you? <laughs> Sounds to me like he's trying to get on the next train. What do you think? Now, remember, the Bible's God telling you something. What's God speaking to us right here? All right, to understand this, uh, we got under, let's ask a question. What is the greatest fear any person ever faces? What's mankind's number one fear? fear of death. Look that, look with me. Hebrews chapter two, the greatest fear any person ever has is the fear of death. Mary Kay got rich on this stuff. Hebrews chapter two, a- aging, maybe death. People make zillions of dollars selling vitamins and all that stuff, trying to keep the saints out of heaven. I've never understood you go to a prayer meeting and ask them, does anybody got any prayer requests? Every single request will be to keep the saints out of heaven. Why don't we pray to keep the sinners out of hell? No, we want to keep the saints out of heaven, keep them down here with us. Well, that, that's fine. I hope you pray for me too. Hebrews chapter two. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible. You're talking about freedom. Watch this. Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14, man's greatest fear. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that means a human body. Jesus himself likewise shared in the same. Do you understand that? I have to wear a human body. You got to wear a human body. So because we have to wear human bodies, Jesus chose to wear a human body for a few days. He partook of the same. Why? That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. I thought God had the power of death. What does the Bible say? Who holds the power of death? What does it say? Satan holds power over you. He holds the power of death. Why did Jesus put on a mortal body? So he could destroy the one who held power over us. And watch what he did with verse, next verse, verse 15. And release those, set those free, who through what? The fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The bondage being, I'm afraid of death. The fear of death is mankind's greatest fear. And the Bible said Jesus came, took on a human body and died on the cross so that you never need fear of death again to set you free from the power of the fear of death. And let me tell you something about this thing. This fear of death, uh, it's a spirit. It's a tormenting spirit. It's very powerful, but we need not fear it. All right, we're going to look at what the Bible says about what happens the moment my, my, I stop breathing. What happens that moment? And the Bible said, tells us three things that happen, and uh, everybody needs to know this. Uh, in case you've got a loved one that went through it, uh, 
when I, I have such a revelation of the Bible and what God says about this stuff that, you know, when I lose a loved one, well, I, I miss them and I grieve a little bit, but I'm so excited for them. You know, I've never like, you know, I, I think about my dad. My dad died not long ago. And I, I, when I think about him, you know what I think about? Not he's gone. You know what I think about? What's he doing today? I wonder what he's doing today. And we need to think the way the scripture tells us to think about this stuff, as you're going to see in a minute, so that we grieve, but not as people who have no hope over our loved ones, of course, over ourselves. Number one, the Bible said that the moment you stop breathing, it's instant transformation in a moment. Look at that passage with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. I started to say I love this, but I'm going to quit saying I love it. I just, I do, I love it all. I love the Bible. I do ones. You, you, I've had people say, you think so? No, I don't think so. I know so. We got to get off this hope, wish, think stuff. We got to know something. There's some things you need to know. And the Bible's very clear about this. That's why it starts in 2 Corinthians 5, 1. It says this, we, we know, we don't think if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. Funny how it says if, isn't it? How many of you know it's really when? If our earthly house is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal. Evidence. What did the Bible say? If that body you're in destroys one day or falls over, which it will one day, immediately you have a body that God made with his hands waiting on you in the heavens. So we know we have a body immediately. Now I want you to notice something with me. Verse two, in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Isn't that what he said in Philippians one? Groan means, man, I, man, I want that new body. I want to be there. Now, if indeed having been clothed, verse three, we shall not be found naked. Let's learn something here. You're not, uh, we talk about, well, there's so-and-so. You are not your body. Your body's a temporary earth bus you design, that's designed for a few years to run around in down here for a little bit. The real, if, it, if your body were you, it wouldn't say, we shall not be found naked after we put our bodies off. Who's the we? The we is the personality. It's the heart, it's the intellect, it's the soul inside of you. There's a person in here. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says about you. You are a spirit who has a soul that's housed in a body temporarily. But I'm gonna tell you something. Matter of fact, look at what the Bible calls your body. It calls it a tent, it calls it a house, and it calls it clothing. Now, if I work around the farm all day and something, I'm dirty and nasty, got dirty clothes on, and uh, go in before dinner, and I go in and just... I go in, I say, I'll be right back. I go back, change clothes, and I come back out in nice, clean clothes. Mama don't say, he died. <laughs> All he did was change clothes. Listen to me. From a biblical perspective, believers do not die. They just change clothes. That's why the Bible says if, that we put off this garment. It calls it a house, a garment, a tent, a building. Well, I got a tent, but I'm sure not my tent when I'm in it. And I got a house, but I'm not my house. House is just the thing I stay in. We got to start thinking of us apart from the body. Because this body is a temporary residence that we're in. And I think it's funny when it says if, it's actually when. Now let's go a little further, verse four. We who are in this tent, they're called my body a tent again, grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. What the Bible call your body right there? Clothes. You know, he said, I'm really looking forward. He, he didn't, we're burdened, not that we want to, I'm not, I don't want to die. I want to live more. It's not that I want to die and cease to exist. I'm not going to. I want to be further clothed, mortality swallowed up by life. Now watch verse five. He who created us or prepared us for this very thing is God. You were not created to be in this body long. This body right here and this time on this earth is just a temporary testing ground. He who created you for that eternal body, that eternal home is God. 
We were, that's why we have eternal hearts inside of us. And we got to get this in my mind that I'm just a, I got a little layover here. I'm on a little layover between creation and glory called earth. And I'm on this earth to do two things. Decide where I want to spend eternity. And then number two, I'm going to show you in a minute to decide what I want my occupation to be in eternity. That's what I do on this earth also. And so you see the temporariness of what he's talking about here. All right. Now people said, brother Brown, I've asked people, are you a believer? Do you, do you know Jesus? Are you born again, child of God? However you want to say to a Christian. If I were to ask you, how many of you in here are Christians? Well, you, many, I'd hope a few, well, okay, one. Got one in the back back there. I hope many of you would say yes. Now, if I were to ask you this, now here's where we get in trouble. How do you know? You'd say, Brother Bun, I was baptized. Well, be baptized in the river. Every fish knows you by your first name. I won't get you into heaven. I said, Brother Bun, I was raised in the church. So was the devil. He ain't going to heaven. I mean, you going to church don't make you a Christian more Sleeping in the garage make you a Jeep. That's not what does it. How, what's the only way this Bible says you can know you're a Christian? We need to know this. Let's read it. Verse five. He who has created us for this very thing is God who has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. The way I know I'm a Christian is the Holy Spirit's inside of me. And this is the only biblical way you can know. Listen to first John chapter four. By this, we know that we're born again. He has given us of his spirit. The Holy Spirit inside of me is the only evidence that I'm born again. Everybody that's born again has got the Spirit inside of them. And uh, that's, that's my proof. You say, well, Brother Ryan, you make mistakes, you do dumb things. Amen. Praise God for his goodness and mercy. But the Spirit of God inside of me is the guarantee that I belong to him and one day I will be with him. And that this is, uh, I've had a lot of folks through the years, this is a great burden to me that so many people will sit in churches thinking they're Christians and not get to heaven. But there was the Holy Spirit's the only way to know. And this church right here has been, Years ago, we had a lady, she was very active here. I think she worked with our children. And uh, we had a dispute one day in my office. It was between her and a man. And they had a dispute and they were arguing about something. They wanted me to mediate it. A lot of fun being a pastor. So I'm mediating this and it was getting a little heated in here. And uh, finally, I just said, uh, she looked at me, I said, I'll tell you what the problem is. I said, the problem is you're not saved. I said, you're not born again. She got so mad at me, she jumped up and went out and slammed the door. I thought, well, that didn't go over so good. He left. And I said, no, don't. I said, you ain't doing much better either. And I sat there three hours later. It was a timid knock at my door. And she pushed that door, tears running down her face. She said, you're right. She said, there's something missing in me that, that other people have that I don't have. And she was active in this church. And she came and sat down and I said, well, I'll tell you what we can do with that spirit. We can fix this. She got saved. She told me a few months later, she said, it's so different having the spirit of God inside of you. We know we're born again. The proof of it, the evidence, he said, is the Holy Spirit inside of us. All right, let's read verse six. We're always confident while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now we're confident, yes, well, please rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Listen to me, here's in a moment. To be absent, you, when you vacate this body, you would be present with the Lord. Boom, just like that. Now, some of my preacher friends believe in something called soil sleep. God have mercy. He loves me too much to leave me in the dirt till he shows up again. <laughs> they, they say, when you die, you cease to exist and you lay in the dirt till the second coming of Jesus. I am not laying in the dirt for 2000 years. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Where do these preachers get this stuff from is a mystery to me. So there's an instant transformation. All right, now you're gonna have a new body. Let me tell you something about this new body. Turn back to Philippians real quick. And let me show you what will happen. Uh, it depends on whether you 
go before Jesus gets back or you're here when he gets back. All right. Philippians chapter three, verse 20. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now we talked last week about the Sunday about the second coming of Jesus. He's going to come back. Watch these words, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body. It'll be conformed to his glorious body. In the moment you, your body falls over, Jesus comes back, your body will be changed. And from this mortal weak body, it'll become just like the body that Jesus came out of the grave with. In a moment, you'll have an eternal body. And I want to teach you something about this body. Turn with me to Luke uh, 24, the picture of what this body that you'll be in like. Uh, I've already, I don't know. You know, it doesn't hurt to ask and pray, even if you don't get it. I've sort of mentioned to him the type of body I'd like to have for eternity. Uh, he said something about taking care of the one you got right now. Let me take care of that. All right, now remember, Jesus was crucified. He was laid in a tomb. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. You know why it was a borrowed tomb? You know why he didn't buy one? He knew he wasn't going to need it very long, so he just borrowed one. <laughs> He's out in three days. But when he came out of the grave, he came out in a different body. Came out in a resurrected body. He came out in a supra-divine body like the ones we we're going to have. Because remember, Mary, the woman closest to him, she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener until he spoke her name. Then she knew his voice. All right, now immediately after that, he goes. The disciples are hiding for fear of the Jews. And here's what he does in this new body. Verse 36 of Luke 24. As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace. So he just, he, he didn't walk through the door. He just shows up in the middle of them in this new body. Verse 37, they were terrified and frightened, supposing they'd seen a ghost, a spirit. Old King James says a ghost. They thought, you're not going to be a ghost in eternity. None of that spooky stuff you see on TV. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your heart? Watch what he said, verse 39. Behold my hands and feet, it's me, handle me. He said, come here and put your hands on me, handle me and see a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. The resurrected body is a body just like this one, but it's, but it's glorified. You're gonna have bones. He said, touch me, feel, feel the bones in my arm, put your hands on me. And he said that he would transform our bodies into the body that's like his, and then to take us a little further on this new body, I think he did this for a reason. When he said this, verse 40, he showed him his hands and feet. They were still, didn't believe, they were just stunned and marveled. He said, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of fish and some honeycomb and he sat there and ate it in their presence. You're going to eat in your new body. I, that, I knew that'd get some of you. Praise God. <laughs> so you got fish and honeycomb. So fish and honeycomb. So he's eating healthy. We're not going to be these spooker little Casper, Casper the friendly ghost things you see on TV. You can have a body just like this one, but it's a glorified body. It, it can't suffer disease. It can't be hurt. And let me tell you something else what the Bible says. It can't age. Well, Mary Kay sales lady, I mean, there'll be some sales ladies in heaven. They won't have the product. Grandma won't be grandma in heaven. Grandma will be 25 years old in heaven. The peak of the human body is like 22 to 30 years old. I, Long time ago for some of us. But you got to remember the aging process only came in the earth after sin came in. So we're going to have a glorified, youthful, young body that's like into the, but it's, it's, you can feel it. So flesh and you can hug each other. You're going to eat food there. Do you remember it's not this weird, spooky thing with white clouds. It's a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And the Bible says they'll be instantly transformed. Uh, all right, number two, not only that, will we, this new body, but what about this place called heaven? There is more misinformation about this place called heaven. Everything from these 
fat little angels playing harps on these goofy little clouds and all this weird stuff and guys wearing white tuxedos. I'm not going to a place like that. What's heaven going to be like? Well, let me ask a question. What's this earth like? Who created this earth? He created a new earth. And uh, I want you to see some of the great things about that place that your, your loved ones are enjoying right now. Uh, the new earth is a perfect. I want you to look with me at the, one of the great prophecies about the new earth, heaven, in Isaiah chapter 65. And this dispels a lot of the myth. And this is so exciting to me to see. Uh, now, you got to remember, one of the reasons I'm excited about it, I'm going to spend the majority of my life there. I'm not here, but just for three or four seconds, just to make a decision and handle some things. The bulk of my life is going to be spent in another place. And Isaiah chapter 65 is that great passage where it talks about the perfected earth. I'll show you several things the Bible says about this place we're going to and what your loved ones are enjoying right now. All right, now you've heard this in numerous places. Let's look in, uh, let's go all the way down to verse 17, Isaiah 65, 17. All right, God Almighty said this, verse 17, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So what's he gonna do? He said, I'm gonna make a new earth. And it's gonna be right this time. It won't be uh, stained by sin. Uh, I hope this don't bother you, but um, your memory will be erased in the new earth. You won't remember this earth. Let's read it again. Verse 17, behold, I create a new earth, new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Heaven couldn't be perfect if you had memories of this earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse four, when he describes the, the new, when we, when we at the marriage supper of the lamb, we're in the new earth. The first thing he said, the first thing he'll do is I'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, it's not just the physical tears. I'll take away the memory and the pain of things in the past. I have uh, friends of mine, uh, you know, they had loved ones that didn't, didn't get there. They're gone, but they didn't go to heaven. And he said, you had that, how hard would it be in heaven to know that you had loved ones that didn't get there? Well, that memory would be erased when we get there. So we have a perfect mind there and the formal things will not be remembered. One of the great things about this, you'll never remember many mistakes you made. You'll never make another one after you get here. You'd be surprised how many people have shame and beat themselves up because of things that Jesus' blood has covered and taken away but you get in a new heaven and new earth. Now, let me mention one person that I know will not be in the new earth. The accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night. I never want anybody to go to hell in my life so bad. <laughs> but he can flat go there, which he's going to according to the book of Revelation. Imagine this, never any unkind critical thought against you for 10,000 years. Your mind that perfected. Well, the former things they won't remember. So we, I, I hate to mess up your country music collection, but I like country music. Them old boys don't read the Bible a lot. <clears throat> there are no holes in the floors of heaven. Grandma's not watching down. Grandma's got better things to do with her time than to watch you eat lunch. <laughs> Nobody in heaven looks down. But I will tell you this, according to Luke chapter 16, people in hell can look into heaven. The rich man who rejected God died and was buried and in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw into heaven and saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and he began to plead with Abraham Lazarus couldn't see back he said there's a gulf fixed he can't see you and uh, hell is so awful uh, I don't think the fire is the worst part of it it's the pain and let me tell you what hell really is hell is a place where nothing is there that is of God no color no beauty no music no hope no smile no joy Hell is the absence of everything good. And it's a horrible, 
horrible thing. I tell you, I, don't, I can't imagine anybody reading the Bible, thinking clearly and saying, I don't want to get saved. And I want to be with Jesus. Is anybody here glad you're saved? Amen. My goodness. All right. Memory base. Secondly, uh, I hope this don't offend you either, but heaven is not very religious. I ought to get an amen out of that. And organized religion will not be there. Hallelujah. All right. Heaven is, is no, there is no reverence in heaven. I'm sorry. Heaven is a place of, heaven is a riot. It is a place of un, undiluted joy and comfort. Read with me in, uh, again, Isaiah 65, verse 18. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. I create Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, here's the name of the new heaven, new earth, a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and join my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Heaven is pure joy. And as I said, it's just a riot. If you want to read sometime, uh, you can go right up into heaven and look right now in Revelation chapters four and five. Revelation chapter four, verse one, John said, I heard a voice saying, come up here and look around. And he said, I was in the throne room of God. And in chapters four and five, he describes what goes on in heaven. It is wild. People are praising and hollering. You better keep your head. They're throwing crowns across the room. They're falling down. And it said it's like the worst, the noise, the singing is like the sound of many waters. Stand beside Niagara Falls. That's what heaven sounds like. And it's a place of joy and passion and life. And there's no, uh, there's just no, this reverence mess. Thank goodness it'll be gone. And it's, I'm, heaven, is, heaven is not one of them weird, spooky places. It's not, it's just, that's not it. Your heart will burst with joy. Everybody that's there right now is just absolutely enjoying themselves. As you can see in scriptures, I created joy, Jerusalem, a joy, and my people are rejoicing. You just have you a large time there. Um, matter of fact, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit of God here now and the presence of God there in Psalm 1611 says this, in thy presence is absolute fullness of joy. The moment, the moment you fall over and we watch your eyes close, you, you will be stunned. You never knew your heart could feel such joy because God is just joy, just the presence of joy everywhere like that. And uh, there's no, no dilution of it. All right, uh, my, I got a downer for you here. You're gonna work in heaven. You're gonna sit around playing old harp on clouds. You've got enough folks doing that. Heaven is a place, but listen, heaven is a place of joyful occupation. Read with me in verses 21 and 22. Isaiah 65, 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. Well, who's going to do the building? Angels don't build houses. We're going to do it. I watch this, verse uh, 21, verse, they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Who's going to plant the vineyards? Who's going to cut them back? Who's going to harvest the grapes? Verse 22, they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. Watch this. My elect, my people, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. You're going to work in heaven. I said, oh, dog, brother, behind. I don't like working here. It's going to be different there. What did he say about work? You will enjoy the work of your hands. It's joyous. Listen, God created people to, to work and to accomplish. Uh, listen, labor was not cursed until the fall, remember? Man, uh, God put Adam in the earth. He said, manage, every, you're my manager, manage everything. His job was to manage the earth. Work didn't get hard till after they sinned. What was the judgment on Adam? Because you've sinned against me, you shall earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. And the ground will bring forth briars and work's gonna be hard from now on. But in the new earth, work's gonna be a joy. 
and it's going to be wonderful. You're just going to have a blast, whatever your, your occupation is. Matter of fact, uh, I know what I'm going to do. Isaiah chapter two is a great passage where he talks about, I will create a new earth and that talks about what'll happen and in verse four. He says this, they will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. So there's going to be industry there, uh, but we're not going to make tanks anymore. We're going to make tractors. You know, be no more swords and bombs and, and weapons, but plows, you know, you plow with a plow. So there's going to be agriculture. I mean, who's going to grow the food we're going to eat? We, we got to start thinking of heaven instead of this foggy place like a fog machine with a fat guy in a white suit. Heaven is the new earth. And you work there and there's agriculture and there's industry. All right, now I'm going to teach you something. This, this, uh, this messes a lot of people up and I'm going to show you in scripture. You are going there because of the grace of God. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. If you could earn it, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? There's the, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God. But now listen to me carefully. What you do when you get there will be determined by what you do on the earth. I tell you, we better look at that. Turn with me to chapter, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. This sort of, I've shown this to people and it shocked them. They said, Brother Brown, I've got to get with it. And I said, what I've been telling you. Luke chapter 19. All right, the Bible says, in numerous, Jesus gave numerous parables about the kingdom of God is like a man who goes on a far journey and comes back. Right? That's Jesus. Went to heaven for a period of time. He's seated at the right hand of God. But he, I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back one day. And I mentioned Sunday 270 times. It's prophesied in the New Testament. The second coming of Jesus. Now, here's another one of those pictures. And it's about your work or our occupation in heaven. Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 11. As they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So they thought God was going to come back to earth that moment but he's not. All right. Verse uh, 12. Therefore he said, now here, now this is a parable. Remember this didn't happen. He's trying to teach a lesson through this. The kingdom of God is like a certain nobleman who went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. What's that a picture of? See, they thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom right then. He said, no, I'm going to go away for a while and I'll receive the kingdom and then I'll come back. So we know that Jesus went back after a few days and he's going to return one of these days. All right. Verse 13, he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. All right, the people that belong to Jesus, that follow Jesus, every one of them, he's, he gave them something. Now, mina is a sum of money. It's about three months wages. But we're not talking about money here. We're talking about opportunity. And every person that belongs to Jesus has been given opportunities. He's given you a life. He's given you talents. He's given you people around you. He's given you open doors. Different people have different opportunities. Can you see here where every believer, while Jesus is gone, he's given you something. And he, now, what did he say with it? Let's read the rest of that verse. Do business with what I gave you till I get back. What did he say? Now, I'm going I'm to leave for a while, but I'm going to give you something. What's he want us to do till he gets back? Sit and stare at the sky. Do business. Take what I've given you. Take the opportunities I've given you. Take the gifts I've given you. Take the heart I've given you. Take the place I've put you. And I want you to do something for me till you get back. Do business until I get back. Now, now, it doesn't mean that you're in the ministry. For some people, it, it means raise your children godly. You know, for Billy Graham, it meant speak to the world. Uh, we don't measure uh, how broad your ministry is. I don't get credit for having the biggest ministry. I get credit for doing what I do with what he gave me. And you do too. He's, but, but listen, can you see here where he's giving everybody something? And I kind of point something else out here. Can you see where he expects you to do something with it? Plain his nose on your face. He said, do something with it. All right, he's going to be back one day. Let's watch this. 
Verse 15, and so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants whom he'd given the money to, to be called to him, that he might know how much every man gained by trading. What do he say? Everybody that's mine, when I get back, I want you to tell me what you did with what I gave you. I've given you something. The potential, the talents, the gifts, the opportunities. Now you tell me what you did with the life I gave you. I've, I heard it, even as a young man before I was saved, I heard it. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to him. And everybody gets an opportunity here and watch what happened. Verse 16, then came the first saying, master, your mina has earned 10 minas. He said, I took what you gave me and here, here's what I did with what you gave me. And uh, he happened to make 10 minas. In other words, he multiplied it. My dear friend, J.O. Williams wrote a book once called God is an investment capitalist that he invests in people, capital investments, and he wants us to do something with it. Now, a lot of people be bothered by that. What's that say right there? He's put something in every person. He wants something back for what he's put in there. All right, watch his response to what this man did with his life. In verse uh, 17, he said, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities in eternity. So because of what this man, now listen, he didn't go to heaven because of what he'd done. You understand this? We've got to get this right. He didn't go to heaven because of what he did, but because of the way he ordered his life after he met Jesus, Jesus said, what I gave you, you managed well, you did something with it. I'm going to let you be the mayor or the ruler over 10 cities for all of eternity. I read that and I thought, hope you don't make me the mayor over 10 cities. I don't want to manage nothing when I get to, I've managed enough on this earth. Can I get a witness? I want a farm, me and my tractor. But can you see here where the way this man ordered his life caused God to place him somewhere in the eternal rank. I watch another. Uh, verse 18, the second came saying, master, your miner earned five minus. He said to him, you be over what? You can run five cities. So can you see that we get into heaven by, the, by putting our faith in what Jesus did? But what we do for eternity is determined by what we do with what we've got down here. Can I get a witness? Somebody, everybody get busy because Jesus is coming back. All right, but here's the whole point. Joyful occupation. You're going to work in heaven. You're going to have the best time. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, it's going to be wonderful. A lot of people uh, mistake. Now, let me help you from scripture. Get your theology right here. There are two judgments when Jesus gets back. One is the Bema judgment. The other is the great white throne judgment. Believers don't go to that judgment. That's only for pagans who rejected Jesus. Uh, we won't even be there. And we're going, he's going to go ahead and say, y'all go ahead and start the wedding. I'll be back in a little bit. The white throne judgment is only for people who rejected Jesus. And the Bible said books will be brought and they will find that their names are not in the book of life. But this is a different judgment just for believers. And it's the Bema. It doesn't determine whether you get into heaven or not. It determines, some people call it rewards. I don't particularly see that in the Bible anywhere, even though we talk about, will there be any stars in my crown? Gospel music. It's where we will, our lives will be evaluated. Turn, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Turn back. Let me show you something. Maybe somebody needs motivating here tonight. Maybe I better call your mom and check on her. Second Corinthians chapter five. Now you understand what I'm saying here? Bible teaches there are two different judgments. One is for those who reject Jesus. One is for those who put their faith in him. All right. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10. If we'd read further, we'd have read this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So I got to stand in front of Jesus giving account for my life. Did I preach the Bible to these people or did I play games and tell them what they wanted to hear to keep my job? You know, did I love my wife faithfully? Did I treat her good? 
was I, did I treat my neighbors Christ-like? Did I, did I live for Jesus or did I just sit on my butt and do nothing? Can you see that clearly? You say, well, brother Brian, what about the person that just got saved and just didn't do nothing for God? All right, that's 1 Corinthians chapter three. They will be saved as though by fire, but their works will burn up. Here's the point, get busy. That's all I know to tell you, just get busy. That'd do good. So the Bible said it's a place, I didn't mean going to all that, place of joyful occupation. Turn back a bit, Isaiah 65. And if you want to manage 10 cities for all of eternity, God bless you, be my guest. Help yourself. I don't even want to manage a phone booth when we get in eternity. <laughs> Let me show you one more about this new earth we're going to be in, in this passage. One more thing. And this, is, this, is, this shows you what the fall of man did. It. Listen, this earth was not supposed to be like it is, not even the animal kingdom. The fall of man touched everything. On the, you know what I mean by say fall of man? As Genesis 3, when man put his fist in God's face and said, you're not going to run my life. It's called sin. It affected everything on this planet, even the animal kingdom. It was affected by the fall of man. But in the, in the new earth, it will be a land that enjoys perfect peace. Look with me in, uh, look in verse, last verse, verse 25. Watch this. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. What happens today if a wolf and a lamb feed together? The wolf feeds on the lamb. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. Lion, you know, lions are meat eaters. They weren't designed to be that way. Lions were designed to eat grass. In the fall of man, lions became carnivores and the enmity, the law of tooth and claw came into the animal kingdom after man sinned. It wasn't like this before sin. Everything was at peace. Even the animals were at peace with each other before sin came into the earth. And it goes on to say this. And I watch this. I, I like this. The dust shall be the serpent's food. The serpent is the only cursed creature for all of eternity because of Genesis chapter three. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. All right, I wanna show you something wonderful. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. It defines a little further. Here's the atmosphere of the new earth. There's an atmosphere of the earth. There's, I don't, people talk about what will you see when you get to heaven. Listen to me, it's gonna be more what you feel. Now you're gonna see some beautiful sights. N nothing man has ever messed up will be there. Uh, but the main thing is what you're going to feel with your heart when you get there. The indescribable joy that it speaks of. But I want you to look at the spirit that's going to cover the earth. And this shows you how big our God is. All right, Isaiah chapter 11, again, is a prophetic passage talking about eternity. And it says, a rod will come uh, forth from the stem of Jesse. A branch grew out of his race. Talking about David. And then Jesus was of the family of David. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And it talks about what Jesus will do for us. And then it jumps. Now in verse six is where it jumps to eternity or the new earth. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. We saw that. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them. Three-year-old goes out, takes the lion by the mane, says, come with me. Walks off with him. There's no enmity in the earth at all. Not even in the animal kingdom. Enmity is impossible in the new earth. Now, nobody can get ill with anybody. Not even animals can get ill. And I'm going to show you why in a second. Uh, verse seven, the cow and the bear shall graze. Well, they do now, but they're going to do it here side by side. The young ones shall lie down together. Here it again. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. Every, everything in, I, I got bad news for you. Everything in the animal kingdom goes back to being a vegetarian. You do know that uh, men, people were vegetarians before the fall. I'm sorry. Uh, the only, I, 
I don't know if you're going to be one or not. It's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. The only hope you have, the only hope you have, the only thing I can find in scripture says we might not go back to God's order was vegetarian. Sorry. The only hope you have is found in Luke 24 where Jesus ate a piece of fish. All right, that gives me some hope right there. So maybe we can be a pescatarian. That'd be close enough there. <laughs> All right. Watch this, verse eight. Let me show you the peace that's in the earth. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den and they'll not hurt nor destroy. Child will go out and pick up a rattlesnake. Take it home and say, look, mommy. She says, now put him back where you got him. You say, man, I'm scared to death of snakes. You won't be there. there there's perfect peace in that order. No fear whatsoever. No enmity whatsoever. It's, it's impossible to even think it in the new earth. Here's why. Verse nine, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Here's the reason. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The presence of God is going to so surround the earth that it is impossible in his presence to even think an unholy thought, say an unkind word. You, you will be so aware of God, just so aware of his presence and his presence will circle the earth and fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Take the closest you've ever been to Jesus in prayer. Take the sweetest time you've ever had in worship where God drew close to you. Multiply that by a thousand times his presence. That's eternity. It's the presence of God that you feel. And in his presence, you, nothing can go wrong in his presence. It's that powerful. Do you understand that he has restrained himself from the earth? He's holding himself back from the earth right now because we walk by faith and not by sight. Listen to me, what I'm fixing to say. If the living God were to speak in this earth or just give a little bit of his presence in this earth, every human being on this planet would hit their face and never sin again. He doesn't want to force them. He wants it to be by faith. So he restrains his presence from us. We get a little touch now and then. I think an old song called it, Mercy Drops of Glory Divine. But one day his knowledge will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and we'll live in that knowledge. That's the knowledge Adam and Eve lived in when they were what? Naked and there was no shame in the earth. Absolutely incapable of shame. And it's going to be, the, going to be so great because of the presence of God covering the earth. All right, let me mention one more thing. I was asked one of the strangest questions. I've been asked several times and I, I was just... I was so stunned, I didn't even answer it. The fellow said, do you think I'll know my family in heaven? I was just stunned. Why would somebody ask something like that? We need to learn about this. The third thing the Bible teaches clearly, heaven is a place of joyous reunion. Place of reunion. Uh, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm gonna be using this passage tomorrow. 1 Thessalonians chapter four. He heaven is the great reunion all right, now I told you a young lady came to see me and she asked me, where's my daddy? What's he doing right now? What happened to him? So brother mine, nobody can know this kind of stuff. Yes, they can. That's why God put this in the Bible. Because he wants you to know. Matter of fact, read verse 14 with me. First, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Look what God says to you. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. What do he say? I want you to know what's happened to people. I want you to be aware. If you've lost a loved one, I want you to know what happened to them. I want you to know what they're doing. I want you to know exactly what happened. This is the kindness of God so that we don't, well, let's, I don't know why I'm saying it. Let's read it. I, want you, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you suffer and sorrow of those who have no hope. I don't want you hurting like people who don't know. When you lose a loved one, it hurts. There's sorrow. But he said, if you know what's happened to them and I can tell you what's happened to them, you won't hurt as bad. Now, obviously you miss anybody you lose. 
testified. I went to a home last night. One of my dearest friends in the world died a few days ago. And uh, I went over to the home last night and went in. His sweetheart was there. He's got two children, grandchildren. They were all around. And it was, it was, uh, it was the sweetest spirit. There was, there was no pain. There was no, it was just a joyous spirit. He's such a man of God. His family son knows God. And we just talked about great times and rejoiced. We all prayed together. And there was just a spirit of joy because they're so aware of the fact that he did not die. He departed to be with Christ. I don't know if you remember, I wrote a little book a few years ago called uh, Look for the Hook about how God speaks. And I put a chapter in there called A Real Cowboy. And it was about this guy. He was like a father to me. And he was just such a great man in every area of his life. He, he, he just lived well in every area. And of course, we cowboyed together, had some great times. And he was a great example. I, I, I think I put in there one time, me and him were riding through some broomstall. It didn't say a word. He just jumped off his horse and he went, went like that a time or two and finally stood still and threw his reins back up and said, I ain't never seen so many rattlesnakes in my life in the spring like this. And I thought, I'd have shot it. Of course, I know what he'd have said. Leave it to a dime store cowboy to waste a bullet on a snake when you can jump in there and step on him. But he was just a, we just had the best time. Well, he died suddenly. And I'm going to do his funeral tomorrow. And there was such a joy now, obviously you hurt when you lose somebody. But what the Bible say? I don't want you to sorrow like people who have no hope. I want you to know what's going on. And look what he says here. All right, <clears throat> verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave, rose again, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, I want you to look at that verse right there. It's not how good you are. It's not how often you go to church. It's not if you clean your life up. You put your faith in what Jesus did at the cross. If we believe in the death and the, let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our eternal well-being. That's the whole gospel right there. And he said, if if your loved one believed in Jesus and put their trust in the cross and you put your trust in the cross, what does the Bible say in that verse? If we believe in the cross, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Can I ask a deep, profound question? How can you bring somebody with you if you ain't got them with you right now? Tell me, where, tell me where everybody that loves Jesus, that was saved, where are they at right now? What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me in paradise. And he says right here, I'm bringing them back with me. We're going to take a trip one day. All right, this we say to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, if we're alive and remain until the coming of Jesus, this Bible sure does talk a lot about the second coming of Jesus. We will not precede those who are asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back to earth. With help from heaven, with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, trumpet of God. Now this presents a little problem here. And the dead in Christ will rise first. I think that's where some of my preacher friends get their soul sleep gig from. See, they believe that when you die, you go in the ground, you cease knowledge, you have no cognizant awareness. But when Jesus comes back, you get up out of the grave. Not so, dear one. The Bible is very clear. You are with the Lord. Well, what is this thing about the dead being raised? Dead bodies. Even these dead bodies will be resurrected. But new ones, I'm already in a new body. So don't let this soul sleep thing or... Would you leave your child in a grave for a long time while you was off on a trip? That's just common sense right there, but the Bible's very clear. He so has regard for these bodies, he'll even resurrect these bodies one day. And that's why, I don't know if you ever noticed, in, I don't know if they do it now or not, but in old church cemeteries, you always bury people how? What direction always buried in? Their feet are toward the east in old church cemeteries because Jesus is coming out of the eastern sky and that way when you're resurrected, you'll be staring at him when he comes back. That's the way we always buried folks in our old church cemetery. And they're coming back with them. All right, now watch this. Verse 17. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Who's the them? Not Jesus. That's later. Who's the them? 
the people we love that are there already. Can you see clearly that this new earth is a place of beautiful reunion and we will meet people that we love that went before us? And he said, hey, listen, I don't want you to hurt about people that have gone ahead of you. I'm coming back one day and I'm going to bring them and you too will meet in the air. And then he makes this promise. He said, we'll meet them and let's read that again. Those we are alive and remain, if we're here when Jesus comes back, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Who's the we? In this verse, who's he talking about? Us and those that have gone before us. I want you to know it's one of the greatest words in the Bible. It's the word always. What do you have that's always right now? You know, 90 years is a long time. That's not always. Uh, this little couple had been married 60 years. He got married when she was 18. He was 20. He'd been married 60 years. That's a long marriage. That's not always. We'll meet the folks that we love that have gone before us and we plus him will be together. What's the word always mean? All of eternity. The mercies of the Lord are from eternity to eternity. We shall always be with the Lord. And look at that last verse. What did it say? Encourage each other with these words. Comfort each other with these words. And this is what we do. We love to comfort people with these words when they lose somebody. You know, we see what we see with our eyes, but there's a great comfort in knowing this. All right, this, this is the big, uh, big picture. Let me, uh, let's do one. Can I show you one more scripture? We've got choirs going to be able to me. One more real quick. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter one. Do you know, how many of you think God created this earth with a plan? How many of you think he just created it and said, let's see what happens? No, sir. He is a master planner. He had one master plan when he created the earth and everybody in it. And here it is. His master plan is found in the book of Ephesians. And you know, he's doing, listen, our heavenly father's doing a lot of things in the earth. John chapter five, verses 19, 20, 21. My father's working in the earth today. God's doing things in your life. He's doing things in the earth, but he has one master plan. There's one thing he wants to do above everything else. And it's found in Ephesians chapter one. Read with me in Ephesians one. Let's put in in verse uh, nine. All right, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. What did the Bible say right there? The heart of God has a master plan and he's going to show you what it is. Having made known to us the mystery of his plan or his will, which he purposed in himself. Before he ever created this earth, he had a plan. And here it is. Ultimately, it's in verse 10 and it says this, that in the fullness, dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one place all things in Christ, those which are in heaven and those which are on earth in him. Ephesians 1.10 is God's ultimate plan. At the, you know what it means, dispensation of the times? A day he has set, on that set day, he's going to gather every person together. Now, where's the family of God? What does it say in that verse? Some of them are in heaven, new earth. Some of them are on this earth. But he's got a date set and his ultimate goal was to gather everybody into one place in a new earth. He was looking for a family. And right now in the economy of time, so we're all scattered. I got folks that I love that are there. You got folks you love that are there. But God's ultimate heart is to bring everybody back together in one place. And I will be a father to them and they will be sons and daughters to me. Look with me across the page at Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, Ephesians 3, 14, I bow my knees to the father of Jesus, from whom the whole what? Family in heaven and earth is named. Has God got a family? You just saw it. Where's his family at right now? They're in two places. Where are they? They're in heaven and they're on earth. What's his ultimate plan? To bring them all together and he'll be a father to them and they'll live in joy forever. Now, considering the scriptures, I'm, I'm gonna wrap up here. You see why Paul said in Philippians 1 to depart and be with Christ is far better. 
He had such a revelation and understanding of what it was like, you know, to be there. And that's why he so ached and so wanted to get there. Now listen to me. You listen to what this book says. You get these scriptures down in your heart. You will never fear dying again. I can remember as a young, even as a young man, I was, you know, a little nervous about dying. I wasn't young then. I, was, I didn't, you know, I, I pushed back. People hate death. We recoil against the thought of death because you know why? You weren't created to die. Your heart was, is an eternal heart. It doesn't, it, it doesn't like death and it, we have fear of death. But after God began to teach me the scriptures, I've never been afraid of death again. Matter of fact, I welcome him. It's like, God's got a great life and it's just fixing to get better. And uh, there, there's no fear of death whatsoever. And you've got to use this word because I'm going to tell you something. Satan is a tormenting spirit that will torment people about dying and he'll make them be afraid of death. Uh, I was with a guy one time. He, 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 was a, he was, got saved. He came to our church for two years before he died. He got cancer and he, he, was, a, he was a tough guy. He's a man's man. And uh, I went to see him a couple of times and he was right at the end of his life and uh, cancer was eating his life away. And he knew it. And everybody knew it. And I'm sitting right beside him there. We're talking about some things. And all of a sudden, he just grabbed my hand. And he looked at me and said, he said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I heard the fear in his heart, in his voice. And uh, that's, that's an unholy, tormenting devil causing people to be scared of dying. And I, you know, I don't say, you know, what did, what did Jesus do when Satan worked? He spoke the word of God. And I said to him, you're not going to. I said, we know that if this body is destroyed, and I began to quote the scriptures boldly and I just watched the peace come over me. He said, well, all right then. All right. And then he said, I don't want to be buried in a suit. I said, me neither. He said, I'll make a deal. He said, uh, I'm going to be buried in one of them Lamb's Chapel t-shirts. I said, all right. I said, I'll tell you what, you gave me a shirt of your auto parts store. I'll preach your funeral in your, in your t-shirt and you can wear mine. It'd be fine. How about if we do that? And that's what we did. I got there for the service. I got on this big bear on this orange t-shirt, uh, all the parts store and the funeral director said, do you, do you need time to change? I said, no, sir. We're ready to go. I said, look what he's wearing. We're ready to go. We're buddies. But you know, the fear of death is destroyed by the word of God. And, and we don't live in the fear of anything. Matter of fact, the fear of everything ought to be destroyed by the word of God. Matter of fact, you know what fun is? We're not going to look at it because we're out of time. We've been out of time for a long time. We can catch up directly. This same Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he made fun of death. He stood in front of death and mocked it. Apparently it came after him, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. He just turned, death came after him and said, I'm going to get you, cut you, I'm going to get you. He said, oh, death, where is your sting? Great, where is your victory? And then he quoted verse 57, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He just made fun of death and said, Jesus is going to deliver me from it. Now I can take you right now to Southern Part of the County to the Mount Olive Baptist Church Cemetery. I can show you right where this old earth bus is going to be trashed one day. And I can stand there and think, so I'm going to get you one day. I said, you ain't getting nothing but an empty trucks. all you're going to get. You can stand there and make fun of it. Well, yeah, they're going to lay the remains down there. But listen, I thought wore this thing out anyway. It's got too many miles on it. Can I get a witness? Some of you are worse than I am. You're still, yours is squeaking. Live blessed and look forward. Here's the deal. Instead of, I'm, I hear so many people say, I'm getting older, I'm getting older. Not me. I'm getting closer. Praise God. If you get a biblical viewpoint of life, it changes everything. And now listen, I've lost loved ones and it hurts. It hurts to lose loved ones. But I'm telling you, under, under the, the slight grief of losing somebody, I just have such joy for them, knowing that they have seen Jesus face to face. And I often, like I'll, I'll walk through the lobby over there and my buddy Forrest Oliver, he was our head trustee when we were building that thing. He died suddenly of leukemia. And every time I walk by the picture, I just wonder, wonder what he's doing today. Wonder what he's doing today. Some of them are more alive than we are. And that's the reality of it. Let me quit by 
uh, telling you one quick story. Tell you a minute. <laughs> you ever heard of Franny Crosby? Fanny Crosby, the greatest hymn writer that ever lived, wrote, wrote 8,000 hymns, sold over 100 million copies. And the night from the Civil War era to like 1900, Fanny Crosby was Hillsong, Bethel, and, and Maverick City music all rolled into one. She was everything in Christian music. Wonderful, that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, all the way my Savior leads me. She was blind all her life. She lived to be 95, died in uh, 1915. Lived to be 95. Uh, and Fanny got old, got sort of broke down when she got older and her sister was taking care of her and she got into bed and then she got real sick and she went into sort of a coma, you know, where she wasn't cognizant for a couple of days at a time and she knew she was dying. Everybody knew she was gone and uh, she hadn't even opened her eyes in days and the doctor came in to see her one day and her sister was sitting there in the room with her taking care of her. They were talking and the sister said, uh, doctor, do you think it'd be much longer before Fanny goes to heaven and goes to see Jesus. And he said, I, I, it's probably going to be today. And she said, the sister right in her biography said, it scared me to death. I heard a voice come from that said, praise God, too good to be true. <laughs> and she'd revived just enough to hear the doctor say she was going that day and it excited her so much she was ready to go. Turned her eye, turned her head over and went to be with Jesus. I said, boy, what if the doctor tells you, I'm sorry, you're going to die. Praise God, too good to be true. <laughs> you know what that's called? We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't deny the pain of losing somebody, but I'm going to tell you something. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. There is a land that's fairer than day. And by faith, we can see it afar. And the Father waits over the way and he's prepared us a dwelling place there. And it's going to be sweet and you need to be there. And I hope you manage 10 cities. I'm going to stand and laugh at you while you do it. Have a grand time. <laughs> Lord Jesus, what else could you do? You've loved us. You, you've blessed us. You've given us health. You've given us great homes. You've given us friends to love us. You've given us this beautiful earth to live in. You laid down your life for us willingly. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life. And then after these brief 80, 90, 95 years, when this body falls over, it just gets so much better. You've done everything you could do for us. And we just pause to give you the praise and glory and honor. I want to thank you and praise you that Lord Jesus, I've never lost anybody that knew you. I can remember the Sunday when my mother died. The fellow said, I'm sorry about you losing your mama. And I just told him, said, I didn't lose her. I know exactly where she's at. And I want to praise you and thank you that we never lose anybody in Jesus. And thank you for the calm assurance that if, you know, all this stuff, we get to creaking, even if we get a little older, praise God, I'm not getting older, I'm getting closer. And we look forward to that day when we'll see Jesus face to face. And Lord Jesus, I look forward to the day when your ultimate plan is fulfilled and you gather together both those in heaven and those on earth in one place, place of ultimate beauty and joy and peace and rest. Delightful occupation. We don't have to worry about stepping on snakes no more. We just pick them up and carry them because your presence will cover the earth. And of course, the greatest thing about heaven, Lord Jesus, is not gold streets or pearl gates or any of that stuff. It's just you. It's just the beauty of Jesus in your presence. Look so forward to it. Thank you that what we don't know, you have taken care of. But thank you that you've revealed eternity to us in your word. And we love you and praise you for it. Give you all the praise and glory in the blessed name of Jesus. Now, folks, let's just keep praying. You've listened to me tonight. You've heard the word of God about heaven. I want to ask you a simple question. Do you know for certain that you know that you know that if you should die before you wake, your soul would be in glory? Do you know for certain? You can't hope on this. One. This has got to be we know. Well, you can know Jesus loves you. 
He died for you. You can be the best person on earth. Bust hell wide open. You got to humble yourself before Jesus. There's no name given under heaven whereby men must be saved except the name of Jesus. But whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Why don't you just call on the name of Jesus right now? Like a child, humble yourself. Say, I want to be yours, Lord Jesus. Pray this simple prayer, something like this. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You came to this earth and died on a cross because you love me. You rose from the grave because it couldn't hold you. Thank God you're coming back one day. I want to go with you when you come. I humble myself right now and I confess that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me all my sins. I turn from them. And I believe you to come into my heart. On this day, I choose to follow you. I put my faith in you today. Today, I declare you're my Savior. You're my Lord. And you're the love of my life. I'm going to follow you forever, dear Jesus. Thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for answering my prayer. Strong name of Jesus, I pray. Father, I just want to praise you and thank you that heaven's door is wide open and anybody because of the love of God can come in. I don't want to thank like everybody in here. I want to thank you that there was room at the cross for me and you made a place for every one of us. So we're grateful. Let Jesus be glorified. And one day, dear Jesus, when we see you face to face, we're going to tell you personal face to face. But till then, we're going to keep praising you and worshiping you. Strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.